with Dr. Adam Branch, who is a superb, brilliant academic at Cambridge and wrote one of my absolute favourite books, uh, co-authored um, Africa Uprising. And now he's got a new article about the International Criminal Court in Africa and African leaders' relationships to it. So I have four questions for Adam about its functionality and whether it does any good. So welcome, Adam. Thank you. <laughs> so my first question is, we, some of us recognise that the ICC perpetuates various myths. It tends to focus on African countries. It's predicated by global inequalities. But does it do any good? Does it have any deterrent effect for mass slaughters, for example? In my view, no. In my view, the ICC thus far has actually done more harm than good. Done more harm than good because, you know, despite its rhetoric, it generally takes the side of uh, powerful actors. It takes the side of powerful Western actors. Takes the side of powerful African states, and instead of you know, when it gets involved in a situation, instead of prosecuting all sides equally, it picks sides, takes the side of the stronger or the victor, and prosecutes the weaker. And my view is that that, instead of leading to a kind of world in which um, accountability is the norm and a world beyond impunity, which is what some of, the, some of the ICC supporters claim for it, it's actually leading to a world where the ICC is helping to entrench inequalities and entrench relations and structures of violence. So instead of sort of leading to an expanding geography of the rule of law, it's leading to an expanding geography of impunity, impunity for the powerful, but some kind of, quote, accountability for the weak. And my view of this is that if it is that unequal and that sort of selectively applied, this isn't justice. This is simply a, a, a sort of reinforcement of the, of the power of the already powerful internationally. Okay, but let me just play devil's advocate. Suppose because of existing political inequalities, it can't uh, be an impartial adjudicator. But even if it can increase accountability for the weakest, is that not some advantage? You know, there are gross human rights abuses. And if we can clamp down on any of those, is that not a good thing? Well, I don't think necessarily. I mean, obviously, to have fewer human rights abuses, to have few, you know, less violence mm. in the world is a good thing. My view, though, is that the ICC is not deterring anybody from using violence. Those who are going to use violence are going to use it anyway, whether they are strong or weak. Um, and my view also is that, you know, some you know, there's the argument sort of some justice is better than no justice. My view is that some justice isn't justice at all. Um, I think that if it, you know, by, by taking sides and by only prosecuting, you know, the weak, by giving the strong immunity, what it's doing is actually not just, you know, it's not only ineffective in terms of deterring the weak, but it's also, it's effective in, the ter in terms of empowering the strong. So it actually could be leading to even more violence instead mm. of less. Mm. So I don't think that it's, you know, I think that the, the, those negative sides are such that it could be having, doing more harm than good. Now, obviously, there's sort of an empirical question here, which is, you know, can we sort of measure somehow the actual impact that the ICC has had historically on these different situations? Can we somehow test if the existence of the ICC has led to, say, less violence? Mm -hmm. Or if, as I and others argue, if the existence of the ICC has, in fact, perhaps emboldened those who were going to use violence anyway by giving them a new form of legitimacy of mm -hmm. you know, human rights, humanitarian legitimacy for their violence. Um, 
And so my feeling is that we probably, you know, would need more empirical research. The difficulty, though, of course, is that, you know, we're only there's only one world, and in that world, the yeah. ICC exists. There's and no counterfactuals. It, right, and there's it is in, intervened in so few cases that each one yeah. of those is a very complex process mm -hmm. of, you know, of of figuring out what's going yeah. on there. And so it's very hard to test these things, um, if not impossible. So my view is that you know we need to is that if we look at the sort of overall kind of logic of the ICC, this seems to be a very significant danger. And I think there are certain cases, for example, in the Uganda case, which is what I've worked on the most, where we can very you know, specifically see the way that the ICC ended up contributing to violence, prolonging a war, um, giving support to the Ugandan government's counterinsurgency, letting the Ugandan government off the hook, letting the international donors off the hook who were funding the counterinsurgency and funding a very brutal anti-civilian counterinsurgency for years and years. So I think that, you know, in the situations that I've looked at, I think it's pretty concrete evidence that it, uh, the ICC's involvement has made things worse. Now, whether the ICC's existence has led, you know, um, rebel movements in other parts of the world to think twice about the kind of violence they use, if the mere existence of the ICC has led, you know, certain states to think twice before committing war crimes or crimes against humanity, I mean, perhaps, mm. but my feeling is that it's right now there's no evidence of any sort of systematic sure. trend in that in that direction, and we know for a fact that the powerful simply ignore it. Right. So, related question: Is it because of those inadequacies and the lack of, and the lack of being impartial that the African Union recently announced its intention to withdraw, or was there some other motivation going on there? Yeah, I think that there's. I mean, yeah. So, up to the present. Everybody prosecuted by the ICC has been African. Mm -hmm. um, only recently, the ICC opened a formal investigation, opened its first non-African formal investigation into Georgia. But still, it is, it is a court trying Africa. Um, now, I think that there are, you know, the, and, and so recently, as you, as you said, you know, recently there's been what some have called sort of pushback against it um, from specific African states, South Africa, Kenya, um, rhetorically at least, Uganda, a number of others, and there's been pushback from the African Union and sort of a plan for African states to withdraw en masse. Mm. Um, now, the reason that they have given is that the ICC is interfering with African politics, is undermining African sovereignty, is undermining um, democratically elected African governments. The ICC is interfering with the possibility of African states, or is interfering with sort of processes of, of peace and security, and especially with South Africa that sees itself as kind of a regional hege well, is a regional hegemon. Um, they, they see the ICC as antithetical to their efforts to bring peace and security within the continent. Um, and so I think that those, those sort of claims by the African Union and African states are you know, very legitimate. And I think that what we can see is a number of African states declaring that they are not going to let their politics, their peace, their possibility for peace and security be subject to the whims of a highly politicized court, a court that is not accountable, a court that simply seems to do often the wish of the Security Council, um, powerful Western states, um, without any taking any responsibility for the consequences of its, of its actions. So I think that 
you know, on the one hand, yes, I think that, that those kinds of claims that are being made by African states about the uh, problems with the way that the ICC has targeted only Africa and then has the way that the ICC has intervened in Africa, I think those are very legitimate. Now, I think that there's two other aspects to this we need to take into account. One is that, as a lot of sort of, you know, supporters of the ICC point out, is that African states never really raised a fuss until the ICC started going after African heads of state. So in other words, for many of the ICC's investigations, these weren't the ICC coming in and violating African sovereignty. These were rather African states referring their own situation to the court through a sort of novel use of state referral. It was a kind of self-referral. And so as long, and so the ICC jumped at those opportunities. And the ICC actually offered these states sort of a kind of de facto immunity yeah. In, in exchange for these states' cooperation with the ICC in pursuing suspects and, and prosecutions. Um, and so, obviously, the African Union and African states had no problem with the ICC as long as the ICC would criminalize their political opposition and give them de facto immunity. The African Union and African states started having a problem only when the ICC went after, well, Omar al-Bashir and then got involved in Kenya against... Um, and especially uh, Uhuru Kenyatta, the case, uh, that case. And so that's when, so that's why a lot of sort of pro-ICC so, or ICC supporters argue that, you know, it's not a issue of African sovereignty and this and that. It's rather African heads of state, African dictators trying to protect themselves, looking out for themselves, you know, and trying to use sovereignty as sort of a shield against human rights. Um, so uh, I think that, and obviously there is, as I've just been saying, there is some legitimacy to that critique because African heads of state are fine with this court and fine with this court coming in and, mm -hmm. you know, whether, you know, getting involved, undermining domestic political processes as long as it's doing it in those states' favor. But can I just ask a question yeah. here? So clearly Africa isn't a country and there is diversity within yeah. the continent. And I wonder, is it really a question of regional ownership? Because we've seen some African countries, some heads of states, speak out in favor mm -hmm. of keeping the ICC. And many of them have said, well, no, we don't actually want to withdraw. We don't support the AU's move here. What explains that diversity? Yeah, I, I think what explains it, well, a few different things. I mean, some of it is sort of regional geopolitics. Mm -hmm. So a state, like I say, a state like South Africa that sees itself as kind of a guarantor of peace and security. I mean, they, you know, an aspiring kind of regional power. They say the other BRICs aren't involved. You know, right. Russia, India, China, these countries aren't involved. They aren't um, subject to the ICC coming in and interfering with, with politics in their mm -hmm. parts of the world. Why should we be? Why should we be different just because we're in Africa? So I think that for some states, that's the issue. I think that other states within the continent um, see different sort of, you know, have different positions ideologically mm -hmm. in that they see the ICC as being a sort of a part of regional peace and security mechanisms. Some of them are sort of beholden to donors and feel right. that, that maintaining sort of vocal support of the ICC, yeah. it doesn't cost them anything, but it keeps them in the good books of especially European um, donors and sort of the quote international community. Um, others. I wonder, it would be interesting to look at those who support the AU's move and see is there a correlation there between lower income African countries and high aid donor dependence and I wonder if there's... Yeah, I don't think it's quite that, I don't think it's that stark. I think it's more just sort of general orientation right. and sort of recent histories. Um, okay, so 
related yeah. question. So the AU, in announcing its intention to withdraw, suggested an alternative would be regionalization of international law. Mm -hmm. But I wonder, in, in reading your article and getting a sense of the messiness of these conflicts, the lack of a clear good versus evil binary, could any alternative regional justice mechanism do much better? Well, I mean, I think it depends on what we mean by do better, mm -hmm. right? My view is that trials are almost uniformly very inappropriate ways of trying to bring about justice mm -hmm. or reconciliation or mm -hmm. peace in the wake of large-scale collective violence. Right. My view is that trials will only be politically productive when they are part of a broader political process. Mm -hmm. Now, the problem with the ICC is that the ICC is not part of any political process. The ICC, you know, uh, just sticks itself into the middle of an ongoing conflict without any kind of politics or political impetus behind it, without being, without having any resonance with sort of political Can forces you point on to the front. Examples of successfully sort of regionally grounded reconciliation processes that have also had a sort of justice that have had judicial component, you know, a sort of non-trial oh. alternative of what you're suggesting. Yeah. Well. Okay, so that you mean that I've had no judicial... Yeah, so, so you're saying that the problem was this, this mechanism of having yeah. a trial, and that, right. that, that doesn't work. Oh, yeah, got well, a messy almost every civil war that has ended in Africa, <laughs> I mean, I mean, look at, you know, Mozambique, look at the end of the war there. You had Renamo, which was a demonized group, you know, and, uh, and you know, guilty of the same kinds of, you know, terrorist violence against civilians that, that say, the Lord's Resistance Army is, is accused of. And yeah, I mean, you negotiated, uh, an end to the conflicts was negotiated there without turning to trials. I mean, Uganda's previous, you know, phases of civil war have ended without trials and led to a kind of peace. Um, I think that trials are, you know, by far the, the, the exception um, in, these, in these situations. I mean, international trials are, are the, are the okay, exception. Okay, so, so let's suppose there was a non-trial-based regional interference. Okay. Given okay. existing regional political inequalities within Africa, yeah. do you think African leaders, strong African leaders, such as Museveni yeah. or, or, or yeah. others, would submit to a regional non-trial instrument? I mean, would an, yeah. an African criminal non-trial cause yeah. do any better? Yeah. Would it be more likely to be impartial, yeah. effective, etc.? Well, I, I, think, I think that, you know, I think the broader question is, what it's a question of transitional justice, right? And it's a question of what does justice mean in the wake of large-scale armed conflict, mm. right? Um, does justice, you know, what would, what would justice look like and what does justice mean, what form should justice take in order to ensure that peace, the peace that's established is going to be lasting and is going to lead to, you know, uh, the issues that led to conflict in the first place being addressed, right? Um, and so my view is that that's, it's exactly all the sort of broad tools of, that go under the name of transitional justice that have to be deployed in those kinds of situations. And that trials, and, you know, trials of any kind, if they are gonna work, they have to be sort of, well, here's the thing. So criminal trials are very polarizing, mm -hmm. right? They, um, they name the sort of the good side and the bad side, right? Mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're polarizing, they're moralizing, mm -hmm. they establish guilt, they tell specific stories, right? And usually very sort of black and white mm -hmm. stories of guilt and innocence. So my view is that trials are 
almost sort of too dangerous an instrument to use in very tenuous political situations, mm. right? And so it's precisely um, whether those trials are based at, you know, the international level, the regional level, or a national level, that, that they can have a very sort of, they can end up leading to polarizing consequences right, yeah. in the places that they take place. And so, of course, that's why victors often like to have trials, because it, you know, it's a yeah, reaffirms their legitimacy. Yeah, sure. It's a continuation of war by other means. Mm -hmm. You know, so that makes sense. Now, if you're going to hold a trial that is not just sort of an, an example of victor's justice, it really has to take place, in my view, either after a very exceptional kind of political settlement where all sides said, we will submit our leaders mm -hmm. to trial, but I don't know of any situation where that has happened, mm -hmm. or else it has to happen very long after the fact. So look mm -hmm. at the Hissène Habré trial in that just happened in Senegal, right? I mean, he's put on trial and people have held this up as sort of an example of how international criminal justice can be, quote, Africanized. It can take place within sort of, you know, specially, um, sort of specially designed uh, international tribunals or international divisions, international crimes divisions of African courts. But the Habre trial was only possible because the violence was 20 years in the past. Right. It was so far in the past that he could be put on trial and these things could be brought out and the kind of polarizing, moralizing um, impact could be withstood because those it wasn't still sort of live politics. Problem with the ICC, not only does the ICC get involved in things that have happened very recently, it gets, ha it gets involved in ongoing conflicts. So of course it's going to lead to a polarization or a moralization. Um, and so same with an African criminal court, you know, that's being proposed with the African Union. Once again, I, I, I think it's, it's less the um, where that court is located, where those trials are located. It's much more the form of a trial itself that is inapplicable and often counterproductive in episodes of armed conflict. That's a really important nuance. Okay, Adam, thank you so much for sharing your expertise on African politics and conflict resolution. I would encourage people to read the article and also the book, Africa Uprising is a brilliant comparative analysis of why social movements are more effective in some African countries um, than others. Again, thank you so much, Adam. Thank you.